This is recording number 10760 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the second message in the Jesus Was 30-something series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 20, 2008. This message is titled, The Search for Significant. The title of this series of messages is called Jesus Was 30-something, and uh, I um, believe that even though these remarks and this study is sort of focused on a certain group of people, that the issues are broad enough, uh, that they are common enough among people of all uh, ages and generations that, uh, you know, it's not going to leave the rest of us out, but now you know kind of the framework that I'm working within as I, as I talk to you about these things. So this morning, the search for significance. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And then I'm going to have you turn over. So be ready to move because we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 9 and read one verse there. But beginning with Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So the setup is that uh, Peter and his brother Andrew are doing their, plying their trade. They're doing what they do. They were fishermen and they were fishing. They weren't expecting an encounter with the Messiah. It was just, you know, another day on the job. But verse 19 says that Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, a lot of us have, you know, who have hung around uh, Christians or been in church, we've heard these words enough that it doesn't shock or surprise us when we read this and then see, uh, hear what happens next. But I want you to kind of put yourself in the position of Peter and Andrew, this guy they don't know comes along and says, follow me. And they know that that means more than just, you know, let's take a walk together. Uh, Because rabbis or teachers would extend an invitation in those days. They would extend an invitation to followers to become, or to people to become their followers or disciples. And when they said, follow me, that was an invitation to leave everything behind, everything of your life, and become someone who just follows around this rabbi or teacher and learns from him. And the the point was that the, the teacher or rabbi or spiritual leader would be passing on what he is and everything about his life, what he knows and his relationship with God to those who would be following him. So this is a very significant um, event. And the guy comes, the, the guy they don't know, this guy they don't know comes along and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. A very odd turn of phrase, but clearly pointed to them as fishermen. And uh, so it's, 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 um, you know, this is not a, a very minor, simple thing. This is a, a, a startling and a significant call. And I don't use that word lightly, significant. Significant call that Jesus is making to these disciples. Then verse 20. They immediately left their nets and followed him. 
Now, I want you to uh, continue on with me reading verses 21 and 22. Going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. They were also fishermen, and they were in the family business, uh, James and John, with their father. And Jesus comes along, sees them, extends to them the same invitation. And verse 22 reads, And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now turn to Matthew chapter 9. And verse 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And uh, Matthew was sitting at the tax office because he was the tax collector. And Jesus says to him, follow me. So he, Matthew, arose and followed him. Now let these verses just sort of soak in the background for a few minutes and we'll come back and, and talk a little bit more about that. Today we're dealing with the theme, the search for significance. I think this is true for all people, but it's, it's especially true for those who are part of Generation X that we, they long for significance, meaning in life. And more than often is understood or known, it drives them and, and, and motivates them. And I wanted to just talk about that today and how Jesus and his life and ministry answers that longing. First, I want to talk to you about uh, some realities that shape uh, this discussion with regard to uh, Gen X. First of all, Generation X is kind of unnoticed in some ways because the, two, the generation before, the baby boomers, and the generation followed, Gen Y or the millennials, are both about two, um, a third larger in size than Gen X. And it's kind of like if you were looking at a mountain range, you see the peaks. You don't see what's between. And so often, um, Generation X has felt like they're sort of the unnoticed group. That, uh, yeah, there was some attention played at first to try to, you know, create this market out of them and all. But in a lot of ways, Gen X feels as though they've kind of been lost in the shuffle. And the attention has gone to the larger, the much larger generation before and after. Generation X has also lived out uh, in kind of an odd place in the shadow of the baby boomers who experienced so much history. Um, the civil rights movement, women's liberation, and by the way, I'm not saying that whether these things are good or bad, they're just uh, humongous historical events and move, uh, movements and moments um, that were part of boomers' uh, life. Civil rights movement, women's liberation, the sexual revolution, Roe versus Wade, the birth of rock and roll, Woodstock, moon landing, Vietnam protests, Vietnam War protests, the assassinations of John and Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. These are things that are talked about on a constant basis, uh, but they are the the, um, the experience of the baby boom. And so Generation X comes along and the talk that they hear, the things that are, uh, the major events that are discussed through, through their growing up years have to do with a previous generation. And often 
Gen Xers can kind of feel like um, they're sort of in the shadow. <clears throat> they're also, like we talked some last week, they are also part uh, or have been brought up in, you know, kind of the quote, quote, new families that were created by uh, the baby boom generation. For the most part, those were broken families. Uh, as I mentioned last week, baby boomers have divorced at a rate... Um, uh, more than any other generation uh, before. And so Gen X uh, has, has grown up in a broken family or a blended family. And so the result is that familial identities have been blurred. You know, whose kid am I? You know, I've got step-parents and I've got, uh, you know, stepsisters and brothers and I've got... Uh, you know, it just gets kind of confusing. Who am I? Uh, the term, as I mentioned last week, the term latchkey kids was coined for Generation X. And so they've had to sort of develop an independence about themselves uh, that means that they have less group identifications. They've had to kind of do it themselves often. There has been a part of this, quote, new family idea, a transformation of gender role definitions. In other words, a generation before, uh, the role of mom and dad, husband, wife, man, woman, right or wrong, uh, and a lot of times it was wrong, but they, the roles were ge- uh, clearly defined. You grew up knowing what was expected of you on, on the, uh, in terms of your gender. That got wiped away during the baby boom. So Generation X has kind of grown up without that or in the midst of that kind of uh, melu. Um, and really a strange kind of thing that you may not think about, but really I think has a lot to do with this whole issue is that there were, there really, baby boomers, one of the things uh, about the baby boom generation is we cast off, we threw off everything having to do with tradition. We, you know, we discarded traditions, whether they family or institutional. Uh, we wanted to rewrite everything. In doing so, we also, you know, as part of that, we cast off things that previous generations had in place that helped a, a young person know when they were moving from childhood into adulthood. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. For instance, when I was uh, growing up, um, my father, who was an avid fisherman and backpacker and you know woodsman kind of guy, um, all when I was until I got to about I don't know, you know, eleven, twelve years old. I was never invited on his excursions, his outdoor excursions. When I reached that age, and I'm sure there was more to it than this, but I know that there, somewhere in his uh, subconscious, there was an awareness of what had previously gone before that young men, when they reach that age, are being drawn into or welcomed into uh, a path to adulthood. And so he extended to me an invitation to join him on these trips. And that was him saying to me, you're stepping into uh, adulthood now. You're stepping onto a track that leads you to adulthood, and I welcome you. 
There's also a great deal of ethnic diversity that, gen, that is part of Gen X. In fact, it is the, the generation that has the largest number, or largest percentage, I should say, largest percentage of in, immigrants are a part of, here in the United States anyway, are a part of Generation X than any generation since World War II. And that has blurred even cultural identities, which is not a bad thing. It's just another one of those uh, one of these whole list of things that has caused identity, meaning, significance for Generation X to become kind of fuzzy, kind of blurred. Who am I and where do I fit and belong in the scheme of things? Um, there's also the new employment quote, quote. Uh, there's been a breakdown of workplace loyalty. Boomers were kind of on the leading edge of that. Uh, we, we don't uh, care so much about, you know, uh, pledging our lives to some, you know, to Ford Motor Company or some other, um, you know, uh, industry or corporation. We uh, don't get our identity from that. And so Generation X has grown up with that understanding. Um, boomers pioneered this whole thing of multi-careers that you don't just uh, have one career for your whole life. I mean, we change careers like we change clothes. And, and Gen, Gen X has kind of been caught in that too. So th- there's not a, an, an identity of, you know, this is what I do that, or this is what I am that, from, that I get from what I do. Now, having said all that, the re- result of it is that we have a generation of people who have a deep desire and need to know what their life is about. You know, why am I here? What makes, it, what makes me unique? What makes my life have meaning? And I believe that Jesus, his life in ministry, beginning with the passages we just read, has something to say about that. I'm going to take just a few minutes, and I mean a few minutes, and then we'll be done. <clears throat> we, we read about Jesus making this startling call to two groups of fishermen and then to Matthew, the tax collector. He says, guys, leave everything behind. Everything. Right now. Drop your stuff and follow me. And they do. They do. They leave everything behind and hit the road and follow this guy. Why would they do that? It's startling. It's amazing. I, but the answer is pretty simple. And that is that we, there is something in all of us that longs for significance. And when we encounter someone who has a strong sense of who he is, or she is, and where they're going and what they're about, we are drawn to that. There's such a hunger in our lives for meaning and significance and transcendence that when we encounter somebody who seems to know where they're going, we want to go with them. And when Jesus comes along with just these simple words, follow me, something of, of, um, of a clear sense of mission and calling was resident in his life and in those words and, and called to that longing in the disciples, uh, the, uh, those who would become his disciples' hearts. And I think that there is something about Jesus 
that calls to each one of us and addresses and answers and speaks to that longing for significance that so many of us have. In Luke chapter 4, where he stood up in the synagogue in his hometown and quoted from Isaiah, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he said to everyone present, he said, This day, this passage, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and I think it was that sense of, uh, that, that absolute sense of calling and assignment and mission that drove the Savior's life, drove the Messiah's life, that speaks to the, all of us who long to have lives of significance. He knew who he was, where he was going, and why. I don't want to live my life in just sort of a, you know, a haphazard Let me see if I can get my work done today. Let me see if I can get the bills paid today. And then we'll talk about tomorrow another time. I want to live my life with a sense of purpose and meaning and significance. And Jesus offers that to us. So that's why those disciples were willing to drop everything and follow him. But what, how how can we... Learn from Jesus' uh, life about how we can have that same kind of, of uh, sense of calling and assignment in ours. There are two things I'm going to present to you today. The first, with regard to the remedy for the insignificance that many of us are dealing with, is that we need a personal relationship with God that separates us from the crowd. Luke chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 50, is a familiar story about Jesus and his family. They have, when he, he's 12 years old, and he and his family travel to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover along with all kinds of pilgrims because it was required that at least the men of, of uh, every household were present in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover every year. So the families would come from all over, and Jesus and his uh, mother Mary and uh, Joseph would travel, or had traveled to Jerusalem. They celebrated the Feast of Passover with everyone else, and now the whole crew is heading home. Everybody's departing from the city because the party's over, the, you know, the celebration is done. And uh, uh, Mary and Joseph travel a day's journey and they don't recognize, well, they, they realize that Jesus isn't with them, but they figure that he's just, you know, with some friends or whatever. But after a day, they figure, wait a minute, where is this kid? And they return to Jerusalem in a panic, searching the streets, trying to find him. And they end up in the temple and find Jesus there at 12 years old, 12, 12 years of age, debating with the scribes and Pharisees, the leading religious scholars, and engaged in a very uh, significant and deep conversation with them. And Mary and Joseph come in and they're, they're like, what in the world are you doing here? <laughs> you know, Jesus, you're supposed to be on the way home with us. We were panic stricken. Any of you moms and dad ever lost one of your kids for a few minutes? Aye, aye, aye. 
It, it, it just, uh, you know, it's the worst feeling you can possibly imagine. And, and, and Mary and Joseph are feeling that. And uh, a little bit of that frustration comes out even in the recorded, um, even in the record in, in, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 2. But Jesus says something very interesting. He says, well, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? I mean, why, why would that be strange to you? Don't, you? don't you know I would be about my father's business? There's two things being said there that is very important to anybody who wants to be a person of significance and who knows what it is to live your life out under assignment. The first is relationship. My father's business. Now, you know, all the religious stuff is over with. Passover's done. Everybody's church is over. Everybody's going home. They're on their way back to wherever they came from. But Jesus understood that it was not about a religious ceremony or ritual. It was about relationship. Didn't you know I'd be about my father, my father? A life of significance and a life of meaning and a life of assignment uh, emanates from the kind of relationship with God that's personal. Not secondhand, personal. And then the second thing we see in Jesus' response that I want to make note of today is he says, Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? This is something he's up to, something he's doing that, of course, I would want to be part of. What my father is doing, what God is up to, that's what I want to be a part of. And that separates us from the crowd. The crowd was heading home, back to their everyday stuff. But Jesus had a relationship with God that was personal in nature and devoted to his kingdom, God's kingdom. And that distinguished him, that separated him from the crowd. It made his life stand out. And that invitation, I think, is available to all of us. The second thing that I want you to see from the life of Jesus that I think we can all um, understand and relate to in terms of how our lives can be, can, dis- can be filled with significance and we can live our lives out under assignment um, is that Jesus uh, embraced or his embrace of mission filled all of his life And it satisfied his inner hunger. Uh, In John chapter 4, there's recorded for us a very familiar passage where Jesus uh, was traveling from uh, Judea in the southern part of Palestine to Galilee in the northern part of Palestine. And so he and his disciples traveled into the heart of Samaria and they stopped uh, around noontime in the heat of the day. Jesus sends his disciples off to the nearest town to get food for their, their, for their meal that night. And uh, he parks himself at the well and a woman comes out to draw water and he simply asks her for a, a glass of water. Can I have a drink, he says. But that simple, mundane, everyday exchange between a person asking, one person asking another for a drink of water turns into an opportunity for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to penetrate a very needy woman's life and transform it. And beyond that, 
the, the um, transformation of a whole community. You want to read about it, you can go there yourself, John chapter 4. But when the, the disciples come back from their trip into town to buy food and they see Jesus and the, they see the woman leaving from this exchange that, they, that they've had, they said to Jesus, um, you know, we, we, uh, uh, you want something to eat. We've just been to town, bought this food. You want something to eat? And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know not of. And to me, it's just a remarkable statement. And I can identify with it so much when he's, he's saying, there's a hunger that all of us have that food can't meet. That nothing else can satisfy. There's a hunger that each of us has for significance. A hunger that each of us has to be in the service of the Almighty God. And there is such a satisfaction, such a deep satisfaction that comes to our souls when we know that we've been used by God. He said it satisfies at a deeper level than any other thing. You know, my uh, Sue uh, works for Kaiser as a um, basically an administrative assistant for, to a director there, and um, it's a it's a decent job, and she's happy for it. But there are times when, um, like any of the rest of us, it it seems kind of like a, a drag. Uh, I know that's maybe a shock to you, that, but but how many of you ever feel like, man, I just don't want to go to work today? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> your, your employer may be watching no. um, and uh, you know one of, I, I don't know if, I think it was this week or I can't remember it was recently within the last week or two um, Sue was heading out the door and I just I, I could feel like you know it was one of those days where she's just you know plowing ahead with life and you know I got to go do my, my thing at Kaiser and, and uh, so I started to pray for her and I because and, I know what she needs. <laughs> I started to say, God, give her a chance to share the gospel with somebody today. Give her the chance to minister to somebody today. So when she came home that night, thank God, I mean, she was, you know, bright and happy. And I, I said, so what happened today? Well, I got to share the Lord with somebody today. And, um, you know, those are the things that make life have meaning. The times when we feel like we've been used by God. You know, the times when we feel like we've been swept up into something bigger than our little life and our little world. That's what gives life meaning and significance. Nothing else will do that. Not a bigger bank account. Not a fancier home. Not a, not a more respected title. Not a better office. In fact, Sue just got kind of shoved off into a smaller office than she had before. That certainly isn't going to give her any meaning or significance. But the transmission of the gospel to someone and seeing the change that could happen in somebody's life. And it was a relatively brief encounter. This person that she got to share the Lord with was moving on to another place they're not going to have ongoing um, relationship, and yet she was able to get pass on to that that person uh, the good news about Jesus, and that's really what transforms 
a life into a life of significance and recognizing that those that are that mission that God wants to sweep us up into happens in the very daily regimen of our lives. It doesn't usually announce itself with, you know, blaring uh, sirens. This is a God moment. It usually doesn't happen like that. It's usually very subtle and simple and just almost fleeting. You can you can let it go by. But Jesus did not. A simple uh, exchange with a woman at the well turns into this incredible uh, divine intervention. And I want to live my life that way too. And by the way, well, actually, let me hold that thought and give tell you one more little story. And you can kind of close your Bibles and get things together because we're going to go in just a minute. But let me tell you one more uh, little story. Um, I, <laughs> I, when I was working for, uh, for uh, uh, when I was planting our church in San Jose, I worked for a high-tech company, and, and um, I worked in a department that was probably at least 90% women. And um, they, <laughs> one, I guess they, because there was like two guys in this department of about 30 women, excuse me. And I guess they felt like they had to invite us uh, one of the women was having a baby shower, and I guess they figured an obligation they, that they, you know, they might as well just invite the whole group so that we didn't feel left out. And I'm sure they didn't expect that I was going to come, um, and I certainly wasn't expecting that I would go either. And I didn't want to go. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, a, I'm, I'm sorry, ladies, but that's the last thing I would ever want to do. I, I just have never been that far into the other camp. You know, I just, it's, it's kind of. <laughs> makes me nervous. But I felt like, like, so I got this invitation by email and I was just ready to delete it. And I felt like the Lord said, you should go. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you got to be kidding. No, way. this is just me, right? And no, I, I just felt the Lord pressing, you should go. So, I mean, I, I sat there at my desk. It must have been, I mean, it felt like hours, but it might have been just five minutes. But I sat there for a long time thinking, Wait a minute, I can't, if I are, I'm, I'm really going to have to go to this thing? And I, finally I resolved that the Lord is, is speaking to me. And I, and I responded, RSVP'd and said, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. So I showed up at the conference room that they had, you know, they were having this thing in there on, on the company campus. And I brought a pizza. I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to do with these things. I don't know. I showed up with this pizza. And uh, I'm feeling, I, I am feeling so awkward. Of course, the other guy wasn't anywhere to be found, the other man in our department. But so I'm there, and here's all these women, and I'm, I'm eating my pizza. And they're talking about things like, you know, dilating and breastfeeding. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, what, what, what am I doing here? And I was li- literally, I was looking for the, the, you know, the soon, as soon as I could get out of there, I was looking for the, you know, an excuse to, to leave. And I, I literally ran from that place. When I finally had, you know, an opportunity, I ran from that room, uh, got on the elevator, went back up to my floor, went back to my cube and sat there and just made male grunting noises, <laughs> trying to make sure that I didn't lose my masculinity. It was rough, I'm telling you. But... Uh, <laughs> But it was interesting how in the days to follow, 
Uh, I guess because I was willing, I mean, these women, I guess, felt like if I was willing to go onto their turf, that they could maybe trust me a little bit. So in the days that followed that, it was amazing how many of them would stop by and begin to open up the soul, their souls, and and explore uh, the questions of faith that they had with me. And I, you know, I could tell I could go on for an. I, I, actually, I timed myself. I had written it out. My my daughter had asked me to write an article for something that she was doing one time, and I was going to read some of it for you that describes some of the encounters that came as a result of that. But it takes twenty minutes to read, and you don't want me to do that, so I'm not going to tell you these stories. But it's amazing the doors that the Lord opened opened up to me to minister on the job there, and. All, it just resulted from a very simple thing, attending a, a baby shower. But man, it made life significant. It made life significant. Now, one last thing. You can stand up. When we talk about Jesus um, and him living a life of significance and purpose and meaning and assignment, a lot of us tend to think, well, we could never rise to that level. I mean, we are not the Son of God, and that is absolute truth. But the, the sense of calling, mission, and assignment that made Jesus' life so compelling that fishermen and tax collectors and everyone would be willing to just, I mean, many others were willing to drop everything to follow him. That kind of significance, that kind of mission, that kind of assignment, that kind of sense of calling that compelled Jesus is available to you and me. Listen to what he had to say. In John chapter 20, verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That same, it's not uh, insignificant <laughs> that Jesus is making clear the same kind of, the same magnitude of calling that he was living out is upon us, can be upon us, and known by us and experienced by us as well.